This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is James, joined by my co-host, Alex, as always. Hello. And we have our very special guest for the day, recurring guest, none other than Tony Sampson of the Chicago Toffees and now of the Everton Fans Forum. Tony, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, and thank you for for having me. It's nice uh, nice to connect with you both again. It's a bit crazy because it feels like the last time you were on the show was a, you know, before Alex and I had gone, of course, overseas and met you in person, but also before the world. I mean, it was a different world just a few short months ago. But how have things been going, going with the forum so far? So what are your, I guess, first impressions? It's now been three months since you've, since you were first elected. Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, it was in February and. Actually, the the first meeting coincided with uh, it was in the same week that you guys were actually over in 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 the UK and at the match. So it was a couple of days before the Man United game. So fortunately, I was lucky enough to be in the city. Then I was uh, visiting my parents, so I, I was able to actually be at the first my first forum meeting in in person. So that was uh, that was really good. It was great to meet the rest of the the forum and learn a little bit more about how it works and and who the people are and get to know them a little bit and that was that was that was really enjoyable and then you know we've been continuing to stay engaged throughout throughout this sort of really strange period um and sort of do a number of things really one learn a little bit more about as i say how it works two listen so i've been spending a lot of time reaching out to a lot of the supporters groups and the supporter groups leads over the last few months to sort of get a little bit more about what what matters to them and then also, we've been, you know, been trying to actually get some some work done as well. So, yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting period, and I'm 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 really enjoying things. So, after you kind of got acclimated after that first meeting, wh- what were your thoughts? I guess how how does the general process operate? Obviously, you have all of these uh, elected representatives who hold seats, and I'm sure there's some sort of structure. And and I guess how has the the situation globally kind of affected what you're able to do as far as meeting yeah so you're right there's there's 15 of us uh thing that first struck me is you know you've got 15 really passionate blues there all who want to want to do the right thing so it, that that was very apparent from you know from the first meeting and what i've come to learn is is that we try and focus the work through a number of sort of project groups and um, that focus on specific issues that uh, you know we know sort of are, are of concern to fans so most of the work is channeled through those so for example there's you know a specific team that's focused on some of the issues around retailing and merchandising there's a, a team that's focused specifically around events that the forum can get involved in and sort of how does it link in and give feedback to the club on that uh, similarly there's one that's sort of working around you know how can you know how can we sort of generate and keep a really strong atmosphere at Goodison, and you know what's the fans' role in that? So there's 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 forums there by which you know we can we can be part of. I'm a member of some of those. So is Joe as well, who obviously is the other international representative. And what we've done is um, we've actually now formed a, an inter, an international project group. So myself, Joe, and a couple of the other members, because obviously of the unique 
sort of interest of our international fan base, we felt that it was really important that we had a specific focus on on the issues that matter most to them. So what we've been doing is sort of looking at, you know, what do we want to achieve from that? Uh, what, you know, feeding back and discussing some of the themes we heard during the election process and then trying to put together a plan that we're not trying to, we've been put together a plan that moving forward on, you know, how can we sort of increase engagement? How can we get to know you know what 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 some of the issues are for the fan base and then act on that and sort of establish a you know a pretty clear communication uh format going forward and keep people informed so that's sort of how we've sort of introduced it and you know uh, obviously we we haven't been able to meet in person but you know we're using all of the technologies that I think that many people are using and many businesses are using and have had to use since you know since the crisis and actually it's been quite a good test for us really because you know, Zoom, Team, WhatsApp, you know, all of those forums have served us really well. So we've been able to connect um, pretty regularly, actually, um, you know, during during the last last few months, you know, we're in constant contact over WhatsApp and, and, and other routes as well. So, you know, we've been able to, to keep things going. So I know you said that you're able to connect pretty easily with other members of the fans forum, but with the current, I guess, climate, um, <laughs> has, has that made it harder for y'all do you think to kind of continue to get answers from fans and like um kind of work towards figuring out what continuously needs improving and maybe what your priority should be yeah it's a good question and i think it varies really i mean obviously there's much bigger issues um at stake at the moment and you know that needs to be you know that's obviously the, the 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 prime priority for everyone at the forum but actually i think as time has gone on um I know from some of the conversations that I've been having with some of the supporters groups, you know, they, they're keen actually now to also use this as a period maybe where they can sort of reflect and give us a, a little bit of feedback. And, you know, that's been done in a number of ways. You know, I've been um, speaking to directly to, to some of the supporters group leads. I was on the phone, for an example, for, for an hour the other night to Clay from Nashville. Um, you know, I've been speaking regularly with, you know, some of the groups from New York and Southern California as well to to sort of help understand how they want to keep things going. So actually it's been, uh, you know, it has been an opportunity where we've been able to, you know, gauge interest and connect with with, with some of these groups. And also um, Alexis understands, you know, there are some groups that are officially affiliated to the club, um, but there are so many other supporters groups of some form out there. Um, so again, been using that time to, you know, to try and understand where they are, who they are, what they do, what, what's important to them you know, feed that back into, into the work that, you know, Joe and I are doing. Yeah. I think it's really great. The, the structure that you guys have, have created between you and Joe to top, top men for sure. Um, and, and, you know, with the nature of, of connecting with a global fan base, I think it's nice that it's not nice. The fact that we have these technologies available to us and are able to utilize them. I mean, you would have had to utilize these things anyway, given the, you're not, you're not going to be flying to Nashville every weekend to meet with exactly. the supporters group. So to be able to connect that way has been, you know, it's been convenient, you know, in the midst of all of these other things going on globally that are definitely inconvenient. But I think that that segues nicely into, you know, soliciting feedback, all of those sorts of things into the, the subject of the day, I suppose, which is the international fan survey that was rolled out, uh, last week. And we, we talked about it on our last episode a little bit, but Tony, I'd like to hear from the man who helped facilitate and create the survey. What was the thought process going into it? And then, 
you know, how did we end up with the, the end survey product and, and what are the primary objectives of, of soliciting feedback from the international fan base? Yeah, well, I remember you and I talking before, and you know, during the during the campaign for the for the fans forum, and you know, I don't think that you can you can be a you know a proper representative of a you know a fan base or a constituency unless you really understand you know what 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 they're thinking, uh, what's important to them, and then you know how you can sort of keep a, a regular communication open. So, um, you know, it was really important for us, particularly for uh you know for the international groups and the US US supporters that haven't necessarily had um, a voice before. It was really important for us to be able to find a way in which we can, um, you know, listen to them and to, to, to get to get a little bit more structured feedback um, so that we can then properly represent, you know, their issues and their interests and also share some of the, the ideas that I know many of them have got, uh, you know, back into the club. So uh, it was actually in the first meeting, um, we proposed uh, to do a survey uh, of all of the the clubs that that are out there to to do those three things you know was to first of all just help understand for us really you know what visibility there was around the forum and, and its work two to get um some real insights into you know what is important to those those fans out there and you know in the survey we've listed 12 areas that we thought and we heard during during the election campaign that might be relevant and then finally you know what's the best way in which we can Sort of keep them involved and and also ask them if if you know if they want to play a part in this as well because you know I think what's really important for overseas fans is to you know is for them to feel part of the community and and sort of keep that connection so we uh, we put the survey together as you say we published that last week um, so we've 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 pushed that out uh, it's a very quick survey um, I think there's about ten or twelve questions it doesn't take very long but hopefully it will give us a, you know a platform to to really understand how now we can we can take forward. The, the issues that, that matter to the to the overseas blues so how have you how have you felt about um the answers or the the feedback that you've gotten thus far well uh, i had a little a little look this morning actually um alex and uh, first of all i've been really pleased at the levels of response and also the variety of response in terms of where we're seeing um, fans respond from so we've had responses from every corner of the world um in fact i was um exchanging with the with the with the Everton Japan group last night um but I know that 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 I think there's over 30 US supporters clubs that have already responded um and and that's increasing all the time so that's really good and that's shown to us that um there's a real appetite out there to to get engaged and that's really important and actually you know we're obviously I don't want to reveal sort of you know all of the results but I think some of the themes that we identified and 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 people shared with us during the election campaign um are also starting to solidify. So things like, um, you know, how Everton builds its presence, the retail and merchandising strategy, uh, availability, visibility, cost associated to, um, you know, some of some of those issues for overseas fans. Also, you know, how can how can the groups better connect and support each other um, and, and uh, build their own supporters groups? Have been some of the things that that, that are coming through. Obviously, it's it's early stages yet. We've got another week and a half before that comes through. But I think it's been a really positive signal. And I think the other overwhelming um, bit of feedback we're getting at the moment is, is that, you know, is that people, people want to stay engaged and they want to hear more. That's really, really good to hear. And it's, it's awesome that finally international fans have a voice. And, and I want to ask you, do you feel as though this is, this is something that maybe 
is very novel in the context of Everton, where maybe the international fan base, I think, has been, I, I wouldn't say they've been neglected because I think the club have done a lot previously, but do you think that maybe the the appetite for engagement was for the, for the international fan base was maybe previously underestimated by the club a little bit? I mean, I think it might have been. Um, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, the, you know, the club has, you know, the club has obviously through its fan engagement team has, you know, has, has worked hard to, you know, particularly over the last, I would say, maybe 15, 18 months to, you know, yeah. establish official, you know, affiliation. So, you know, they, they've definitely, um, they definitely moved there. But I think, I think what's been the issue is I'm not sure that um, some of the groups have really known where to go to and who to go to. Right. Um, so hopefully, you know, you know, we, we can help that. We've decided to split responsibility. So Joe will, you know, and he's the main contact for now for, for, for supporters groups in Europe. And I will be the same for North America and then any other country in the rest of the world. So again, I think, you know, Evertonians want to be listened to. So, you know, hopefully what we're trying to create here is, is an opportunity for them now to, to be able to feed those views in through both um, myself and Joe. Yeah, I think it, I think it's fantastic to finally have that structure in place to actually deliver like feedback and constant communication to to the fan base. And speaking of communication with the fan base, this is another professional segue on my part, if I do say so myself. <laughs> the so so I'm sure most people by at this point have seen the calls made by Carlo Ancelotti by other players uh, in the squad to fans on Merseyside, but then this week. The calls went global and there were actually five, uh, five fans in or families in five U.S. cities that received calls. And I'm suspecting that, Tony, you probably had something to do with it. So could you give us maybe a little bit of uh, behind the scenes on how that all went down? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm sure most listeners will be aware of um, the, the campaign that the, the club actually launched pretty soon after you know, after you know, we, we, we realized that this was a serious crisis. So through its Blue Family campaign, it launched a, an outreach and engagement program to, as you say, support, you know, some of those that were most vulnerable or impacted by by the pandemic, almost an extension of the Tevin in the community sort of strategy. Um, and we we were in conversation with the club um, and, you know, it was through some of those conversations that they, you know, they realized that obviously given the global nature of the crisis that, um, actually, there was, you know, it was worth us thinking about, you know, whether they could maybe extend this to, uh, to, to some other countries. So, um, with with our links into the US, you know, we were able to work with um, some of the supporters group leads to sort of think through, you know, who 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 sort of might would really benefit or or would really, you know, would look look, look to get a call, and that, and that's what we've done. And I, you know, I want to make a big shout out to the supporters club leads that we work with as well. Um, you know, we couldn't have done this without them and their their connections with their own members so that was a really important part of it and you know uh, look at you know I think you can see the impact that it's had you know some of the people that have had calls I mean it was sadly you know James Rogers in New York who you know had had to sort of postpone his father's funeral uh, as a result right. of the coronavirus um, you know and he got a call from legend Graham Sharp uh, actually as on the day he was actually flying back to for the funeral so you know they've also been putting calls out to you know frontline workers as well so you know look I think you know I think that's um, hats off to the club on that but also yeah you know I think through now that we're here we've been able to help make build those connections and work with the supporters clubs yeah it absolutely can't be understated uh, how much one call can mean I think James and I talked about that for a couple minutes on one of the previous 
episodes because, you know, it just seems, I feel like some people can kind of take that as like, what an easy kind of step to take for the club, right? And like, that's a two minute thing that they get to videotape and then post online. But in reality, um, for someone like him, right? Like on that day specifically to get a call from Graham Sharp is, is huge. And I feel like that's a huge, um, it's a nice surprise. And it's something that just allows people to get their spirits lifted in such a tough time. And I feel like that can't be, that can't be understated at all. Yeah, no, I think you're that's absolutely true. Um, you know, what else has been great and what I've observed as well has been how Evertonians have connected and supported each other through this crisis as well. Um, so, you know, it's just amazing, I think, to see how, you know, they've responded and have been rallying around and looking out for each other. You know, you may have seen on social media and other forms, you know, how fans are really going above and beyond to support their communities, um, you know, they're raising money to support small businesses, you know, that have had to change sort of, you know, their way that they're operating because people can't, you know, can't, can't go about their normal business. You know, I, again, I was talking to Steve Landry and the Atlanta Evertonians, you know, the pub that they normally go to, the Limerick pub, um, you know, has obviously been impacted, you know, that they rely on, you know, groups of Evertonians going there regularly to watch the game and they ha- they haven't been able to, you know, to, to get through this in the way that they normally would. So, you know, the the Atlanta Evertonians have, you know, they've raffled off, you know, merchandise and what have you to raise, you know, money to sort of help some of the staff there. And I've seen that sort of replicated right across, you know, right across the US and, you know, families that are building workbooks for kids that is stuck at home and sending birthday messages to, you know, people all over the world, you know, for kids that haven't been able to have all their mates around for, for birthdays. It's it's just um it's just really amazing. And again, I think what this does is it gives us uh, a platform uh, in the future as well. You know, I think building on this this sense of sort of community uh, and connection, I think, is going to be important for us. So, you know, I hope that once things settle down, we can we can continue to play a role in that. Most definitely. And, and I agree. There's There's been so much bad news over the last few months. And just to see the way that people come together as a family as a, as a global community as you know a local local state town whatever what have you and then in addition to that the way that something like Everton Football Club can bring people together and give them a sense of community and even stability and and comfort during a really challenging time it's been it's been nothing short of inspiring and so i applaud everyone who's who's made efforts to connect with people and and help others get through the challenges that they're facing. And Tony, I, I really appreciate and um, respect the work that you're doing with the fans forum. I hope that that continues and that we can get the results from this fan survey and, and kick on into a, a new era of international fan engagement. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I mean, you know, we had a chat when you guys were in the pool, you know, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about this and you know, I'm taking it very seriously, but I'm also having a lot of fun speaking to blues all over the place, as is Joe. Um, so, you know, everyone's got my commitment to, to keep that going. And, um, and I'm looking forward to, to, to getting more detail from the survey. So, you know, we can, we can actually sort of, you know, get a, a real plan in place and, and, and crack on and making sure that, you know, the, the devoted following that we've got all around the world has got, uh, has got a real voice. So um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me um, about the survey or anything else, they can contact me at tony.samson at evertonfansforum.com um, or they can DM us uh, and go through the usual social media channels. 
Absolutely. And we will include the link to the survey again in the description of this episode. Um, you can also find it. We have a channel on our Discord for the fans forum. If you want to join that, invite.gg slash ATP. Um, make your voice heard. The, Tony is extremely receptive to feedback. I know the fans forum is dedicated to making sure that, that fans' voices are heard and represented and that the club is hearing hearing what the fans have to say. So thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Really appreciate it. Look forward to having you on again soon to give us uh, an update on the status of the fans forum. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It's been great to talk to you again, fellas, and uh, stay safe, eh? Absolutely, we will. Stay tuned. After the break, guys, we're going to bring you our player profile of none other than our little Brazilian favorite, Bernard. Alright folks, now we are going to jump into our Bernard player profile. We are doing Bernard because we had um, a handful of suggestions by listeners for this particular player, and I think James can agree when I say that uh, he's a very exciting Everton player, and it was pretty fun putting together this player profile, specifically because he's had a pretty different career from a lot of the other players in our squad. Yeah, in similar vein, I think he's a much different profile to anyone else we have in our squad. P- probably, and I don't think there's much debate here, our player with the most flair to his game and probably as a result of his lack of uh, physical uh, ability or maybe he's not the most imposing figure on the pitch, but he certainly brings different elements uh, of flair and, and skill and technical ability to the to the games that he plays in for sure. Absolutely. So to start it off with his youth, youth career, um, he began at Atletico Monero in Brazil in 2006. And believe it or not, well, you probably can believe it, he was actually released twice during his youth career, once in 2008 and then once in 2009 because there were concerns over how small he was. Yeah, I think the, the really interesting thing about Bernard is is that you look at a player or a person in general of his size and you wouldn't think that that person would be able to compete in any kind of elite athletic competition, but because of how football is, it's so, I mean, it's a contact sport without question, but a player who may not have the most physical ability can still make up for it with cleverness, with speed, with agility. And I think Bernard brings all of those, those facets to the game. And so that kind of is exemplified, but of course, as a young player, he was very small and he eventually did go on, I think some sort of growth hormone treatment plan. So he would be able to at least get to a, a respectable stature. Uh, at 5'4", he, he's pretty imposing, I'd say. I mean, I know a certain someone named Lionel Messi that had the same problem, and look where he's at. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that Bernard is going to win a Ballon d'Or in the last couple years of his career, but I'm just making a quick comparison, James. So, <laughs> although he was released twice over concerns of his size, the following year, in 2010, he got a loan move to a club called Democrata Football Club. 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 <laughs> and um, to our understanding, essentially, they're not in the uh, main pyramid of the four pr- professional Brazilian leagues. They're somewhat of, a, I guess, considered like a state club, which to me equates to like a semi-professional type of organization. Um, if you were to compare it to like a setup in the States, 
Yeah, it's not a a top premier division, but they do have independent state and national pyramids of football in Brazil, a little bit different to what you might see in Europe. So it's interesting. But so he got this loan move to Democrata Football Club, and Club. this was kind of the breakthrough that he needed to to get into the picture for being considered by Mineiro. And in that season, in 2010, he scored 14 goals in 16 matches, lit the competition up, and before he moved back to Mineiro, there was actually interest from Croatia, the club uh, Dinamo Zagreb had interest, but Mineiro rejected the move despite having really not been interested in Bernard's services not too long before that. They kind of realized maybe what potential he had after he lit that that competition alight. Right. And so what followed was a senior debut with Atletico Mineiro on March 23rd in 2011. But here's the kicker. This man made his senior debut as a right back because of how many injury issues the club had at the moment. Just please picture Bernard playing right back for me for a second. Um, after that, uh, after that match, he actually returned to the youth squad, um, for a while. He was playing under the manager Doraval Jr. Um, and that is actually the same man that coached Santos in 2009, which included Neymar as his first senior season and Robinho, who was on loan from Man City. And he, re- he, he remained in the youth squad until Doraval Jr. was fired. Yeah. And so after Doraval Jr. was fired, they brought in Kuka, a really well-respected and well-renowned Brazilian coach who's coached most of the top clubs in Brazil. And at that time, Kuka uh, appointed Bernard, moved him into the first team, and that's where his really his senior career in Brazil really started to take off. So for Atletico Mineiro, he made 100 appearances and scored 22 goals. Um, specifically, in 2012 alone, that was 15 goals and 12 assists. So the bulk of his production of Atletico Mineiro was in 2012. But then in 2013, Mineiro won their first Copa Libertadores, which, as you know, is a pretty big tournament and a really big that's a really big deal for for um, a Brazilian club. Right. And and they came back to win on penalties after losing 2-0 in the away leg. Yeah, so a huge, that was the year after kind of his breakthrough season where he had 15 goals. But that team was really interesting because in with Mineiro, he played with both the legend Ronaldinho himself and former Everton Loney Joe, who maybe some of the newer fans don't remember, but had a couple of loan spells under David Moyes at Everton. And yeah, the Copa Libertadores was a huge, huge victory for Mineiro and kind of put them back into consideration as one of the most elite teams in all of Brazil. They had historically been a really, really big club, but had come on some hard times uh, in the mid to, mid to late 2000s. And then obviously winning that really skyrocketed them back up. And today they're still considered one of the most elite clubs. So the honors that Bernard essentially earned while at Atletico Mineiro included that Copa Libertadores, which we mentioned, but he also won um, two Campeonato Mineiro trophies, which essentially that's the state of Mineiro's competition. So as James mentioned earlier, you have kind of like this national pyramid, which you would consider like D- Division One through Division Four of the professional leagues. And then you have the state competitions, which is where he had his first loan move. And uh, to my knowledge, this is for the state of Mineiro. And so all of the clubs that play in that area competed and they won twice during his uh, three season stay. So as his Atletico Monero career came to a close, he was actually linked with a lot of big clubs such as Porto and Dortmund, but he ended up at Shakhtar Donetsk for 25 million euros. And um, coincident- 
coincidentally, they only had the cash for that deal because that's a that's a fat chunk of change for a club like Shakhtar because they just sold Henrik Mkhitaryan for 27.5 million euros, I believe, to Dortmund themselves. Yeah, so it was interesting. He was linked with Dortmund. Dortmund ends up signing Mkhitaryan and then from Shakhtar, Shakhtar then is able to use basically all of those funds to go in and pick up Bernard. And so Bernard moved to the Ukraine, obviously going from Brazil to Eastern Europe. Dramatic, dramatic change of scenery for him. And it was kind of reflected in his early years uh, in the Ukraine, playing under uh, Mircea Luchescu in the Euro- Euro- uh, sorry, Ukraine, Ukrainian League, Premier League. Right. So he, he played under Mircea Luchescu um, from 2014 to 2016. And actually, believe it or not, right when essentially right when he got to Ukraine, himself and a lot of other players were actually making arrangements for emergency exits amidst the 2014 Ukrainian revolution which is wild to think. And so players like attempted to go on strike, but the owner shut it down. And then next thing you know, the league actually went bankrupt and weak in competition. There were, there were a couple of uh, some of the most high, high profile clubs in the league that essentially folded during this period of time. Yeah. And it became really difficult for the clubs to, to maintain financial stability. And furthermore, Shakhtar specifically weren't even able to play in their home stadium for basically the entirety of, of, Bernard's time there. They were displaced. They had to go to a completely different region and play all their matches. So huge struggles. Furthermore, obviously, Eastern Europe is known for kind of tough conditions weather-wise. So Bernard went from playing in probably intense heat and humidity in Brazil for the most part to playing in frigid cold temperatures. And actually, the Ukrainian Premier League has a like winter break like so many other leagues do just because the temperatures can get below freezing regularly. And not exactly ideal conditions to be getting uh, balls pinged at your 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 body. You take you take a take a rocket shot off the thigh in negative ten degrees. Uh, that stings for a long, long time. You don't say. But so so he he really didn't have the most success under Mutra Luchescu. He was employed primarily as a sub. And Luchescu had had some success historically in his coaching career. He actually coached coached Inter Milan in 1998, 1999, and also had a stint. Uh, from 2000 to 2004 with Galatasaray and Besiktas, of course, the two biggest Turkish clubs. But then he came to Shakhtar and really, of course, amidst all this instability, um, Bernard struggled to kind of get into the team early on because he was, I guess, pigeonholed and played primarily as an attacking midfielder. And he would eventually find success on the wing later on in his career. But over the course of the three seasons under Luchescu, he managed 53 total appearances four goals and 15 assists. So not the best um, stats on paper. And and furthermore, he really struggled to get consistent start time. He was mostly used as kind of a super sub. Right. I mean, I mean, you look at you look at his career to this point, right? And the Brazilian league um, actually has quite a bit of quality. Um, so does the Ukrainian league, but it's not like it's not like you're jumping from, let's say, um, Everton U23s to the Everton first team in the Premier League. Like we're not talking about that sort of jump. Um, so while he, he was just making the jump from Brazil and, and that sort of, um, climate and competition, he then moves to the Ukrainian league. And, and as you said, he found it kind of hard. He was playing mostly as a substitute. He was pigeonholed in his, um, in, in mostly the attacking midfield role. And so the goals and assists are somewhat disappointing, but finally in 2016, Paulo Fonseca came, which if you all remember, 
around that time is when we were actually also as a club, like as a club, Everton were linked with Paulo Fonseca and a lot of fans wanted him to come to the club. Uh, that's actually where Bernard found his most successful period at Shakhtar Donetsk, Donetsk. for the two seasons, uh, 16, 17 and 17, 18 in the league. He made 43 appearances, but then scored 10 goals and nine assists. Um, he also had uh, a very sick performance against, I want to say, Man City in yeah. the Champions League during that period as well. So looking back at it, it's kind of funny that we were uh, heavily linked with Paulo Fonseca and we were really excited about it. And the next thing you know, uh, a year or two later, we end up with their prized possession in, in Bernard. Right. And what's so interesting about the dynamics of, of his time at Donetsk was, you know, you're playing against Ukrainian Premier League competition most weeks, which, as you said, Alex, is not the most competitive league, and especially after the bankruptcy diminished even further. And then on the other hand, you've got Champions League competition and you're playing against the best clubs in all of Europe and arguably the world. And the fact that he was able to to navigate that transition and also really put in some stellar performances against some of the world's league competition, I think put him on the map, perhaps as a player that was destined for Europe's top leagues. So his honors at the club included three Ukrainian Premier League titles. Uh, mind you, he was there for four seasons. He won three Ukrainian Cups, and he won three Ukrainian Super Cups. So he, he, he has a very decorated trophy cabinet with the club. Notable players that he played with include Douglas Costa, Fred, and then Luis Adriano. So uh, another very solid set of, of talented players. Obviously, he played with them in, in their earlier parts of their career because Douglas Costa and Fred are, are, not, are probably around the same age as Bernard. You know, again, one of those players that that you look at kind of his trophy cabinet at the previous club at a lot of the players that he's played with, um, his stats weren't amazing. But you could see that towards the tail end of his career at Shakhtar, um, before he made his move to Everton, he started to really find form and really, really essentially perform the best that he has throughout his professional uh, career to that point. Yeah. And Shakhtar have historically, or I guess in recent history, more so than than in the entirety of their history, been kind of a stepping stone for young Brazilian players to get a foothold in Europe to show that they can compete in Europe, the change of scenery, like we mentioned earlier. And then if they are able to excel in that context, they're able to get their move, their next move to one of the top European leagues, as of course we see with Bernard, with Fred, with Douglas Costa, all able to have successful careers in Europe after kind of wetting, getting their feet wet in Ukraine. Right. And, and when, when, when he says that they are a stepping stone for Brazilians, like we're not talking about a club like Everton who happened to have a couple of Brazilians on, on their, yeah. on their, uh, on their team sheet. And we just like to call ourselves like the Brazilian blues or whatever. This club, if you look at, um, if you look at their squad specifically in, in this period of time, it's legitimately half Ukrainian because that's the home country and then half or maybe even a little more than half Brazilian. Like that's it. It was super confusing. Um, to look at and be like, am I still looking at a team in the Ukrainian uh, Premier League? So that's not a joke. How that uh, how that relationship or how that decision was made um, escapes me, but I find it very interesting. I thought that was um, something to note just as a little fun fact about that club specifically. Right. And so that kind of put a wrap on his time at Shakhtar. And this was this was, of course, a player who had gone for 25 million euros at, I believe he would have been, what, 21 at the time? Still a very young player. And then by the time he's 25, he has a successful career 
displaying that he can compete amongst the best in Europe in the Champions League, winning numerous trophies in the Ukrainian Premier League. And then all of a sudden, he's he's a free agent. And of course, Everton took advantage of that in what at the time was viewed as a really, really shrewd piece of business. And I think in hindsight still is, maybe not to the point that we had all hoped he hasn't exactly the world delight at Everton. But to get a player of that caliber on a free transfer, I think was an, a really, really smart piece of business by Marcel Brands. It was extremely smart, but it was also, I mean, if you look back to about two years ago when that happened, that was that was considered a real coup for Everton, just like Moise Keane was uh, the following summer. I mean, because he was a free transfer and you had a lot of bigger clubs than Everton in terms of recent success that were that were linked with him and, and definitely wanted to sign him. I think it came down to the fact, you know, and, and this is our sweet spot, right? Like Everton is a big club, but we can also offer players like Bernard significant playing time. Whereas if they were to go to, let's say, a, a slightly more successful club in our league, I don't know, like um, don't Arsenal it. or Tottenham, right? Like if you were to go to one of those teams, they would never guarantee him play time. Um, and, and for this moment in his career coming in his mid twenties, when he's essentially hitting peak physical fitness and, and he's going to be downturning in terms of, of pace pretty soon, this is, this was the move he had to make. He had to make the right decision. And, uh, I think Everton fans still agree that he made the right decision. We're happy to have him on board. Yeah. I think in looking at his time at Everton, he's of course now racked up 56 total appearances, five goals, six assists. Played under three managers now, Marco Silva, Duncan Ferguson, and of course, Don Carlo Ancelotti. There's a lot of frustration around Bernard because I think he passes the eye test in just about every way possible. Like we talked about at the top of the segment with his flair, with his passing vision. But then you look at the the limited end end product and it just kind of speaks to, I think we, we struggle with this with a lot of our players. And it just hasn't been good enough for a lot of Bernard's time here, but he has put in a lot of really memorable performances. His highlight reel is pretty impressive. He loves a good back heel. His vision with the ball when he receives it, his ability to turn in tight spaces and beat people is unlike anyone else in our squad. I would argue he's a better, even a better dribbler perhaps than Richarlison. And when he goes at defenders, they really are terrified of this little diminutive 5'4 Brazilian who, you know, he's unpredictable and he does all of those things so, so well. But it just seems whenever he gets in front of goal, he tends to to struggle with putting it in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, his first instinct is just simply not to shoot. Like, it is not to be a goal scorer. It is to be a creator. And that is completely fine. Um, it just comes down to then, if, if we're playing him on the wing, right, we need the opposite winger to then be contributing more on the score sheet. And unfortunately um, for us... We still haven't really find that found that good combination on the wing, um, in which that we we can we can really supplement the goals of the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison. So James and I both chose standout moments for Bernard at Everton, um, our our particular favorite moment. So for myself, James, my standout moment was the match Everton versus Leicester City, in which we won two one, and that was on October sixth in twenty eighteen. If you remember, that was indeed the same game in which Sigurdsson had that sick turn and that sick shot from like oh, 25 yards yes. out. Um, that was a beautiful goal, but nonetheless, we're not here to talk about Sigurdsson. Bernard made a nice run into the uh, into the box from the left wing, and he beat one defender and then cut it back to beat the other defender and kind of chipped it to the back post in which uh, Schmeichel got a little touch on it, but 
Uh, Richarlison was there to knock it in on the opposite side to make it 1-0 to Everton. The reason why that was my um, my standout moment for him was because he had just joined the club and he only played a handful of matches to that point. Um, and the match before was against Fulham in which he scored his or he, he got his first assist for the club. This was the game right after in which he got another assist very quickly. All the fans, um, I think I can speak for all the fans when I say that we were all very anxious to see how he would perform and how he, he would adapt to the Premier League because although we knew that he was very talented, we also knew that the fiscality could have been an issue. And and we saw that he didn't just join the club in August and then and then start you know, start the games right off the bat. He did not. And so this was his, this was his second goal in as many games for the club. And it really, to me, felt like it was, it was a very good platform for him to build off of into his Everton career. Yeah. And I guess it does kind of, that specific highlight stands out because it, it embodies everything good about Bernard's game, where you have the awareness of the situation combined with the technical ability. The double cut is just so sweet to watch. I could watch that highlight over and over again. And then the perfectly weighted little blooped cross across the six yard box for Richarlison is just sublime. And I hope to see much more of that when Everton eventually return to the pitch. My choice for a standout moment, I th- I want to go with Bernard's first goal for the club in the FA Cup match at Goodison against Lincoln City. The game had, of course, started. We we went up uh, 1-0 through Adam Lookman and then went up 2-0 through Bernard, who makes a really nice backdoor run. It's it's Tom Davies on the right side. He passes it over to Gilfie. Gilfie plays a really nice ball into the box to, I want to say, Calvert-Lewin. And as he's ba- making that pass, Bernard is making this really intelligent run straight from the top of the box towards the back post. He receives it right at the edge of the six and bloops a nice little chip into the back corner to put us up 2-0 against Lincoln City. And we ended up, of course, winning that match 2-1 in what was not the most comfortable affair, but got us through to the next round. And and I think that really stands out to me because it had been, he had, Bernard had gotten himself in so many good positions up until that point and then just hadn't been able to finish. I remember vividly him missing several sitters that for just inexplicably, he would scuff it. He would like just hit it well wide. And this was finally him showing some, showing the class that he has and embodying it in a nice little bloop finish and putting us up to two nil at the time. Great goal. Yeah. I mean, I think that was obviously it was his first goal for the club and obviously a very nice way to score your first goal. But I think that was also like a nice standout moment because, because as we know, like as Everton fans, every single year we put a lot of emphasis on the cup competitions as fans, at least Uh, we can never speak for what the club does, but as fans, we really have been wanting to push deep into the club competitions. And so that also felt like a nice moment because not only was it his first goal for the club and he he put on a, a pretty good performance, although the team wasn't great overall, it felt like, you know, he definitely played his part in pushing us into the next round, as you said. So that was definitely a really nice moment. Absolutely. So let's let's wrap things up. Um, we're going to backtrack on the timeline a little bit to Bernard's international career with Brazil, which is largely it was pretty short lived. But and, and it it's a little bit sad to talk about because of the fact that he has 14 total caps for Brazil. So not definitely, you know, significant to make it into the first team for a nation like Brazil, the most successful country ever on the international stage. Nothing to to turn your nose up at. And they did win the Confederations Cup in 2013. 
And he was actually in the World Cup squad for Brazil in 2014. Of course, this was a very interesting time because the semifinals versus Germany, Neymar's injured, and in comes Bernard to make his only appearance or his only start in the World Cup. Yes, only start. Not the best result, as I'm sure many of us remember. That was the drubbing that Germany gave to Brazil that had many jaws on the floor worldwide. Yeah, it was awful because as we were doing a lot of this research, specifically about his international career, um, pretty much like if you just search, um, you know, the player Bernard with the Brazilian national team, I mean, the only thing you find is just article on article on article about um, that game, the, the semifinals against Germany and how essentially, uh, in quote, quote unquote, awful he was. And that was that was legitimately his last appearance for the Brazilian Brazilian national team. So it's been about six years now. Um, and, and you almost have to really feel bad for the guy because he was coming into the semifinals against Germany. Again, that was, as you said, that was his first start of the appearance. And so you can imagine that's, that is huge pressure. I mean, he was probably like 20 years old or so, something around there at that moment in time coming in for an injured Neymar. And, and the, actually the type of articles and the type of press coverage that was coming out prior to that match um, was essentially putting a ton of pressure on his shoulders, essentially saying that the Brazilian fans and, and the Brazilian media thought that he could shoulder the weight that Neymar was um, previously before his injury. And so he, he puts on that performance um, and, and he was just absolutely roasted by the media and by fans. And, and now he has yet to get back into the Brazilian side. And it, it really does. It just makes me feel kind of kind of bad for the guy. Yeah, you talk about a nation that is completely obsessed with football in Brazil. I'm sure every single person in that country is watching that match. Semifinals of the World Cup, biggest stage, coming in for their best player. And to be fair to him, it makes him, or it's unfair to him to scapegoat him because Brazil were absolutely atrocious that day. I remember just being floored with how poor their defense was. But because of the significance of Neymar being absent and Bernard being the man that came into him, came in for him, he was unfairly scapegoated and targeted and he wasn't good on that day. But like you said, Alex, to come in in that context, that is just an immense amount of pressure. And we've seen Bernard be very inconsistent in an Everton shirt. And again, it just, I can't imagine the pressure that was on his shoulders. And unfortunately, he didn't deliver. And it seems like he's going to really struggle probably to get into the Brazil side in the future. But the way that he's bounced back and persevered and continued with his game and to develop, I think is really admirable because you talk about how much pressure is on footballers in the Premier League. The, the I think within Brazil, it's just a completely different animal. It absolutely is. And, and you know, I take... I feel like we have, it maybe has come off as a a little bit negative based on just like the stats that we've been producing based on his career. Um, But I I think I can speak for both of us confidently when I say that uh, we absolutely want to see Bernard in an Everton shirt, um, at least through his contract for the next couple of years. And, 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 you know, it's not always about the stat sheet either. He's a very creative guy. I feel like he definitely um, makes players around him better. You know, see Lucas Dean and their partnership on the left-hand side, which Everton fans love to talk about and compare to Beans and Paynar. Beans and Paynar. <laughs> Beans! Beans and Paynar. Close. You were close. Beans and Pinar. And, and, and I'm not, we're not editing that out. They're all going to hear it. Beans no. and Pinar. Beans. Um, 
<laughs> With that, James, I think that's a fantastic place to wrap things up. Agreed, Alex. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the player profiles as well as our chat with Tony. If you have suggestions on who you'd like to hear us do a profile on next, sound off in our Discord, uh, tweet us, email us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Check it all out, guys. Otherwise, until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.